BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to Copfather. I am Craig Bramell. On today's podcast, I want to talk about a situation in law enforcement, very serious situation in law enforcement, which is the mental health side of the job. Staggering numbers are coming out, both down in the States and here in Canada. But just to give you some numbers, and I think numbers speak a lot on this issue and tackling this issue of mental health. So far this year in 2021, the national law enforcement deaths this is as of April 29th this year. Traditional line of duty, 49. COVID-19 deaths, 55. And suicides, 51. You know, it's a topic that has taken a long time to be taken serious in law enforcement. Back in my day, you had to tough it out. There was some support. When I became the president of the Toronto Police Association, I, I took it as a priority to change it. It is been taken more serious by all the decision makers in law enforcement these days. But it just doesn't seem like it's enough right now. Just to give you some numbers that are recent, I think a lot of it has to do with the mental stress of law enforcement right now and under the pressure, whether it's social media, internal pressure being put on frontline personnel. In New York City, NYPD's reporting more than 5,300 police officers have resigned or retired since 2020. Just to put it in perspective, there are about 29,000 to 30,000 police officers in the city of New York. So we're looking at 20%, and they're just fed up. And to go further, on the West Coast in Seattle, we, we know about what's been going on in Seattle for the last year. Total disrespect for law enforcement. More than 200 Seattle police officers have quit. And this is a police service not a big one, not like New York. It's maybe just over 1,000 personnel. So here's another close to 20%. Just got up and either quit, went to other police services, or went to another profession, or retired. Staggering amount of people exiting the job, which is falling into the defunding the police, the left wing. They don't want to replace these officers. If you look at the defunding numbers, some of them are slashing the police budget, 50%. And I hope there are exit interviews when these officers are leaving, wherever they're leaving, and there's proper interviews done as to why you are leaving the job or why you're retiring earlier. That data has to be collected quickly so that we can find out. Because, again, these are pretty rational people that are leaving. They just had it. They're worried about their families. They're worried about 
have a mortgage. Now, it, in some jurisdictions, it's open to sue a police officer where he or she has to pay on their own. They have no protection from the police service. There's also, when we come to dissecting numbers with law enforcement, and I didn't know this, the amount of arrests in, in, in the states. I think this has been averaging for the last five years. According to the FBI Uniform Crime Report in the Washington Post, last year there were 10 million arrests by the police. Out of those 10 million arrests, there were 1,004 officer-involved fatalities. Out of those 1,004, 41 were unarmed. Now, you might find this hard to believe, but 19 were white, 9 were black. Now, one death is too many. We should have a, a system where we strive to get those numbers down. But to me, 41 out of 10 million is a pretty small percentage. In fact, it's 0.00041%. So again, 0.00041%. 89 police officers were killed in the line of duty during the same period of time. The main media outlets, we're not going to hear about that too often. If we do, maybe for a day, and that's it. In Chicago, just this past weekend, there were 82 people who were shot within a 48-hour period. Of those 82 people, 19 people died. So in Chicago last weekend alone, there were more black people killed by black people than were killed by police in all of last year. And the group that's noticing these numbers and know the true facts of these numbers are the police officers. And that's from the commander of a police service down to the newest recruit. They know what's going on out there. And the frustration side of this as to why this, the truth and the real numbers aren't coming out, I blame a lot of people for that. And that adds to the mental health. I don't know if enough is being looked at from this because in both New York and Seattle, crime rates going through the roof. Shootings, New York City just passed Chicago for the most amount of shootings in a weekend. And we know the situation in Chicago, and Chicago is going through the exodus of police officers also. Here in Canada, I've spoken to many what I call senior officers, white shirts and, and officers on the street, and a lot of them want to get out also. They just don't want to deal with a very honorable position at one point that is not honorable in many eyes out there. Vast majority want to see the police and, and be there, but they're, they're just silent. It's not being used to counter plaintiffs and anti-police. It's just not balancing out. Anti-police is a big news story, so it assists all the media outlets who are suffering financially these days because of the internet or, or social media. They're competing with people that can look at the news for free and their advertising has just plummeted. So they, they need the negative news stories. And the law enforcement side of this is leading the way, showing the copper defending him or herself is going to be played out. But the punch or the assault on the officer first, a lot of times is not going to show up in the coverage. There is just a situation where sheriff's department had to shoot a subject person in a vehicle 
They released a 20-second part of the video. It started coming out that it was an execution on the officer's part. But what was left out and has been corrected since, and this caused a lot of issues, obviously unrest in this community in North Carolina and other locations, is that the the subject party uh, actually tried running down police officers twice with his vehicle. And I can tell you back on the street, I would have shot into that vehicle myself to protect myself and my cohorts, the other officers that were there. If I was the first line of defense, I would have been in a position because that's how I was trained back then. And that's how these officers are trained now to stop the threat. The threat can be in many forms of weapons, including a vehicle being driven at you just once, let alone twice. And I'm going by the reports from the attorney general's office in North Carolina on that. So the amount of negativity is overwhelming for some really good people, human beings that were police officers that just uh, just can't take it anymore. And the mental health side of this is, is really staggering. I, I've talked to a lot of different ranks in law enforcement almost every day, and there is a big concern out there. We're trying, but we're not really winning the battle on mental health. It has been reported that law enforcement is the number one profession now for suicides. So there's a lot of pressure on the police unions out there now. There's a lot of pressure on groups and organizations to assist law enforcement, especially when it comes to mental health. And just an example, on average, a police officer will witness 188 critical incidents during their careers. And if you think about that for a minute, that's including murder, suicide, car accidents, babies not breathing, people trapped in fires. There's a number of ways that of these 188 on average will affect police officers. And so on the podcast, I really wanted to get into this today. And and what I thought was the best way is to invite somebody on the show. So joining me now is a very good friend, real champion when it comes to assisting law enforcement with mental health. The president of Canada's Beyond the Blue, Del Garda. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. So more than ever before, mental health and law enforcement, not just for the officers, but for family members also is more important today than ever before. Let's go back. The organization started up Toronto Beyond the Blue. Obviously, it's gone across the country now. Yeah, we're so proud of that. So we had a Calgary chapter. And uh, of course, with my backstory, I was searching for something after my brother's passing so that families like myself didn't have to travel the journey alone. And Beyond the Blue was co-founded with the now president of Toronto, Crystal Jones. And now we have seven chapters across Canada. So we're very proud of the national growth. Obviously, mental health is an issue everywhere, including law enforcement. Police officers are human. They are not machines. We've, I've always talked about this. They suffer like everybody else. But because of the magnitude of what they're going through now, BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. 
I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. That it's weighing on everybody. It's weighing on police officers. There's concerns about there, about them actually just wanting to do their jobs. So are you finding your numbers of support are going up in the last while? Is it steady right now? What What do you find with uh, across the board, the numbers that you have to deal with now with police officers suffering? In the last couple of years, the reach out from officers, civilian members, their families has definitely steadily grown. And then you add the layer of the pandemic, you add the social environment we're in right now, and the need has never been greater. We also find that more and more people are are coming forth and said, hey, we've never heard of you. Like, thank God you exist. And so we know part of the issue is the awareness. So we work so hard through invitations like yourself and, and other media outlets in allowing our message to be spread so people know we exist. And then once they realize that we are a separate organization at arm's length from the service, there's an instant trust. And that's when there's authentic support and that's given to officers and families who need it. But um, our peer support program has grown exponentially in the last year, absolutely, as we find that the need has never been greater. So when I uh, was with the Toronto, I was running the Toronto Police Association. There, there was an issue back then that anybody with any suffering of mental health had to report to the police service, and there was an uneasiness about that, and I wanted to change that and make it more the employee assistance program where the association was much more involved, and it came down to a trust factor. And this isn't just policing. It was hard to go to your boss and say, listen, I'm really suffering because the ramifications, and there was no safeguards in place on how the management could deal with this. And it was no fault of the the management at the time. It's just the way it was. So we found that there was more trust once we got more involved as an association. And again, it's nothing against management. It's just that this is these people are so vulnerable. The last thing they want to do is to tell their boss that they're suffering and they think it's going to affect them moving forward as a, a employee of the Toronto Police Service. So is it crucial that you come across, which you are, and I, I know this for a fact, that you are completely independent? You're bang on. You're absolutely right. I think no matter what an employer does, and certainly, you know, services can do more, everyone can do more, but I truly believe that there's always going to be a trust and a paranoia issue and that we need to look to associations and outside organizations, provide them with the financial support, personnel power that they need, because there is a trust factor you know, and you sometimes want to keep what is happening in your personal life, what's happening with your mental health, your physical health, private. You don't want to immediately share it with the employer. And so, like you said, no, no knock on the management whatsoever. I certainly think, though, that associations across Ontario and Canada are also revisiting their mandate and their paradigm. And it's no longer that they should be just a solely a bargaining unit. How else can they provide support to their members? 
And I know that for, I mean, including all the police services, they, this is a priority with them. And I think they understand the optics of the whole thing when it comes to trust. And I, I truly believe now police services, the upper management, want to assist groups like yours, along with the police associations, the police unions out there, to, to work as one to make sure that there is less suffering going on than before. Are you finding that the officers that are coming to you for help, is it a combination of internal issues, exterior issues? You know, you read a headline, including here in Canada, where every police officer is being painted as racist. It plays on us. I've been retired for a long time. It plays on me. I do not like to see it because it's not true. Are you finding that it's a combination of exterior pressures and interior pressures? Yeah. Uh, That's 100% right. And I think um, they're almost equal. Now more than ever, there's there's a very heightened sense of moral injury. And when we're painted with the same brush, that really takes a toll on the identity and the good that the majority of officers are trying to do. And that impacts the family as well. And so, you know, there's definitely two types of trauma and injuries that are happening on the job. One is when they go call to call and the trauma that they experience based on the calls. And then there's something called sanctuary trauma, which is the trauma, the injury because of whatever's happening with supervisors or the service, not understanding the impact that can have on the job, you know, not getting a thank you from your supervisor for doing your job. So There's two traumas that are happening. And then you add on the social pressures and it's never been harder, I believe, right now for for officers and their families. So it's definitely a fair balance. I just recently did a podcast on the amount of levels and different groups and organizations and government agencies that can investigate a police officer for doing his or her job. And I think I got up to a dozen. I think that you've spoken to that trauma I was talking about, that sanctuary trauma, uh, that organizational trauma. That imbalance is so stark. You know this yourself from from being the president of the Toronto Union, that when an officer deals with an SIU investigation, my gosh, that can take years. I mean, my brother's case, from the time of the shooting, you had five years till the coroner's inquest. Right now, those officers are five years later. So now it's a 10-year process where there's a civil court case happening. Can you imagine a a split fraction of your life where you've made a decision and you've been cleared? So you're innocent. And yet the next 10 years of your life, you're living in this constant state of scrutiny or investigation. And the amount of oversight is incredible. Listen, and as there should be, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be. But I think then there needs to be a balance in, uh, yeah, I guess I don't know what to call it, the the thank yous, the gratitude, the appreciation, the balance of the job that officers and civilian members need to keep going, to know that they're doing the right thing. That affirmation um, is just not there for some of the hardest things that they're asked to do. Yeah. And I've always said this, you know, when you go to the police college, police college 101, doesn't tell you that one day you might be front page news because then you have to explain everything to your family, your neighbors. They look at you with a strange look now, no matter what the accusation is, especially officers that are investigated for performing their duties the way they've been trained to. 
and it just plays on you and plays on you. And there's no way of countering that. You know, the lawyers are telling you not to talk. And I think there has to be a way of speeding up investigations. And I'm not just picking on the SIU. I'm picking on any investigation. Get a schedule or a timeline in place for everybody's benefit. Not just the, uh, we're talking about the subject officer, but for everybody's benefit. And I just don't understand why they don't do that. And, you know, I've always said when there is a negativity with a police officer anywhere, the integrity of the police service, they will protect that at all costs. It's not the integrity of the officer. It's the integrity of the police service. So they can move on the next day to say they did something, they're looking into it. The integrity of the officer is way off on the distance somewhere. So they need organizations like you or a a good police association to show its bottom line is its support. And, you know, and you speak to that isolation that happens in that process and the officer involved uh, or officers, maybe there is no critical incident, you know, just doing your job. They start to get more and more isolated and then they bring that home. So they might, they might be functioning on the job, charismatic, and they come home and they, you know, their, their body armor, the figurative body armor gets kind of put away. And then the family feels the impact of it. We see the actual person, you know, are they coping? Are they not coping? Are they healthy? Are they angry all the time? Are they disconnected? They're not coming to family functions anymore. They're not open. There's all these symptoms that happen that no one at work sees. And so what does the family do? How do they get this officer help? And that's kind of where we come in with beyond the blue, because we, we see this all the time. Officers who are, you know, in investigations and yeah, the SIU is taking too long. And now what, what does a family member do? How do we motivate the person that they, you know, keep on, keep oning? And then you get caregiver burnout. The family member is exhausted now as well. So there's all these periphery impacts that someone at work, the supervisor, the employer might not see. But at the end of the day, you need a healthy officer. You, you need a healthy officer. We, it's just important, you know, if, if an officer gets seriously injured or breaks a leg or an arm at work, they'll keep you off without questioning because you can't perform your duties. But you're going to be questioned about your mental health, right? It's not something that is as obvious as a broken arm that is going to force an officer not to work, but it, it has to be treated the, the same the same level. You said something uh, which is a big part of your organization is not just supporting the officer, but the family, the spouse, the children. Uh, talk about that a bit, about your approach with that, coming forward and supporting the officer's family. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, 
a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, you know, that came from my lived experience. My brother spiraled and he did it at home. So we were aware that he was spiraling out of control. And when we asked friends or colleagues and when we were brave enough to ask supervisors, they were shocked. What are you talking about? This guy is super charismatic. Well, yeah, he focused all his energy lying at work. And we saw the real person at home. The impact that work uh, and PTSD was taking on him. And, and so we battled that a lot. And so we need to support the family because they are the front line to the front line. They help the helper. And once we empower them with the tools and supports and resources they need to get the officer, civilian member help, that's really what our organization focuses on is the family. You know, and depending on which chapter and which service, uh, sometimes we have a, a lot of the officers reaching out themselves, maybe because, you know, the, there isn't that much support through the service or association and we absolutely help them. But we know firsthand how important it is to provide the family member who sees the true nature of the officer with help. Because it's in that comfort and safe zone in the family dynamic where the officers are going to feel more inclined to get help. They're going to trust that there is almost that separation between work and, and home. And so that is our mandate with Beyond the Blue. Are you finding a big part of it? is the peer pressure from fellow officers. Are you finding that fellow officers are coming across in a more positive way to say to that member, go get help? We are so proud of that. We are seeing that turn in culture where I get the call all the time. Dell, I didn't know who else to call. I'm calling you. They know my ringer's on 24-7 for better, for worse. And I do get those late night calls. We just end a shift. I see this officer crying. I don't feel safe leaving them alone. I need you to call this person right away. And so a lot of the referrals are coming from that, you know, notice, listen, connect model. You notice, you know, your colleague is not doing well. Listen, reach out, and then just connect them with beyond the blue. You don't have to take the responsibility. You don't need to know how to do it. Just connect them with beyond the blue or any support. Really, there's so many great organizations out there. Just get them connected. And I see uh, also with your organization is uh, Dr. Peter Collins. I know Peter well. I was dealing with him a lot. What a great guy. And He's uh, a rock star. Oh my, He's a rock star. Yeah. He, uh, even on my day, he assisted us and just a wonderful person. So it's important to have people like this, but having somebody with that expertise with you uh, is, is also another way of making sure that, and I know a lot of police officers are big fans of Peter is a big part of this is, is the marketing side of yours, getting the information out about not just yourself, your organization, but who's actually helping you is to make sure it's the, huge. the words out there. It's huge. We pride ourselves on aligning ourselves with the best of the best, the best resources, the best experts, and they have to be vetted. They have to be police culture trained to get Dr. Peter Collins was, I can't gloat enough about that. If anyone knows him, he's an yeah. absolute rock star, not just in Canada, in North America. Yeah. That name holds a lot of weight. And when I have someone like him directing us on our peer support uh, mandates and initiatives, we're golden. 
all our therapists on our sites, they have to be police culture trained because when our officers or their family members go, they need to know what police culture looks like. So that's why Beyond the Blue is doing so well because we invest in uh, the type of resources and programming that we offer. Obviously, expansion is always an issue here, making sure that you have enough resources. You are considered a charity, correct? Our Toronto chapter is a registered charity, and all our chapters right now, or any new chapters, they have to be not-for-profits. Right. That is incredibly important for us. And so there there can be donations given, all this. You have events. How can people get a hold of you when it comes to just strictly donations that you want to help out? Yeah, that's such an important part because I'll tell you, there is not one paid employee Every member on a Beyond the Blue executive team chapter is a family member. They just have vested interest and passion. They are getting paid zero for what they do. They just know the importance of it. And so all our programming resources, anything that's offered is through fundraising and donations. And so if you go to CanadaBeyondTheBlue.com, you'll see the links to all our chapters And certainly if you've got a chapter for your service, donate specifically to them. The money will go straight to them. And guys, dollar for dollar comes right back to the officers, civilian members and their families because no one gets paid. We get great donations from our officers and civilian members because they know it's coming right back to a brother or sister in blue. So yes, please, we will be so grateful for any amount and it is CanadaBeyondTheBlue.com. Now, do you go beyond just the sworn officers? Do you have upper management coming in also? So that's interesting. We do. And they come in in two ways. One, incredibly, incredibly privately and usually straight to myself because there's that trust factor. Yep. But not as much as I would like. And I know there's a huge senior officer uh, upper command. I mean, I can't imagine the stress. The the higher up you go, the more lonely it gets. And then in another way, we get them supporting our initiatives, May Campaign, the Appalachians, PTSD Awareness, and encouraging their divisions to do so. And when a leader can do that, we find the divisional morale is different. Because now there's more of, oh, my supervisor actually endorses beyond the blue. He, He or she might be a safe person to talk to. And then what we found is there's real collaboration with the senior officers or superintendents or is, Del, I don't know what to do here. I just know we need to call you guys. Can you mobilize? Yep, absolutely. And then they're so strict about butting out because they know that anonymity, privacy, confidentiality for us is key. So on, you know, there's two fronts happening there, but I think more and more as we have developed a trusted name, more of that is happening. What do you need more now moving forward? What, what is on your bucket list to assist you in being able to, to perform your duties? Where is this going? I guess that's what I'm asking. We're growing. We've got two potential chapters onboarding, so we're very happy. The ultimate goal is to have a chapter in each service. It really is the ultimate goal. So people power, volunteers, that is liquid gold. That is you can't put a price on that. 
So volunteers is, is please, if anyone would like to volunteer and you have a specific skill set, email us, go onto our Canada Beyond the Blue website, get in touch and funding. It's always going to be, you know, the two key issues with a not-for-profit is uh, people power and funding. If you need help and you don't know where to start or you know someone that needs help, don't wait. It's harder for us to mobilize and get that person help. Don't wait. So let's go through the communications aspects of this. How can people get a hold of you? Each chapter has their own website. So it's usually the city with beyondtheblue.com. So Toronto Beyond the Blue or OPPBeyondtheBlue.com. Start at CanadaBeyondtheBlue.com. Our email, all our contact information is there. Our Instagram is at CanadaBTB. And you'll start to see all our chapter Instagrams and social media, Twitter, whatnot. For our email, info at CanadaBeyondTheBlue.com. You can certainly reach us that way. And our turnover time is incredible. You know, we know that there is time sensitivity to each person that reaches out. Within 12 hours, if not within the hour, you're going to get someone responding to you. Well, listen, uh, I know firsthand I see your results. Dale, you and your people are incredible people. There's so many people in law enforcement that owe you, not just yourself, but your staff and your volunteers, your professional uh, help here. You know, somehow just keep it going. You're very important to the law enforcement society and their families. And I'm very proud to have you as a friend. I feel the same. And I'm learning so much from you, that's for sure. And I feel like um, these forums, these opportunities to get our message across is what keeps growing our awareness. So if we can save a life, we're, we're doing good work. Great. Thanks, Dell. This is Copfather. Anybody want to get a hold of us, go to info at copfather.com. Again, Dell, thank you so much. Very important message. And we will see everybody soon. Thank you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.